to turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke 6, verse 12. We're going to continue our study in uh, the book of Luke. We're coming to a section now that's called the Sermon on the Plain, and you'll see why in a moment, because Jesus speaks in, in a flat place. He must be up in a place like the Mississippi Delta, where there's no trees and no hills, just a flat, flat farmland. So Jesus is out on the plains, surrounded by folks, and he's healing and teaching. And we'll delve into some of the things that he spoke about in that sermon over the next few weeks. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Circumstances. Circumstances. It's a funny word, circumstance. It means around or uh, circum, circular, around. And the word stance or stand, it means to stand around. So circumstances, those things that are just around you, the, the situation of your life, the circumstances, facts or events that make a situation the way it is. And these events usually are life-changing events and often are events over which you have no control. Circumstances enter into our lives that are often unwelcome. And that's because we live in a world that uh, is a, a sinful world. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, mankind fell, sin, death entered the world, curse upon the earth. Sin entered the world and all of the brokenness with it. Things don't work like they should. We don't think like we should. We don't feel like we should. We don't act like we should. The world doesn't work like it should. should. There's thorns and thistles in our gardens now and much many other 
broken things, and ultimately death has entered the world. Circumstances of our lives are difficult often. And Jesus is speaking here to the folks uh, in this sermon about circumstances. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice right off the bat here. The first thing I want you to note here is that Jesus is primarily addressing his disciples, and those disciples listed in verses 14 through 16, Peter and James and John and the rest. And there were others present as well in this sermon. Verse 17, he came down with them, with the 12 disciples, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and other people, a large group of people who are from Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. But I want you to notice verse 20. When Jesus begins to speak, it says he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, etc., and so on. Note here, Jesus is addressing the disciples and saying, blessed are you when you are poor and hungry and weeping and persecuted. Jesus is not saying that anyone who is poor or hungry or sad or hated is blessed. Sometimes verses like these are taken out of context. People say, oh, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. As if the poor of the world are blessed by virtue of their being poor. Well, it's a nice sentiment, isn't it? But I think that you would have a hard time convincing anyone, especially a poor person, that poverty is a great thing in their lives. Nobody thinks that's a blessing. And so this is not speaking of poverty in general or hunger in general or or weeping in general, or persecution in general. It's talking about disciples. Disciples who are impoverished, disciples who are hungry, etc. The idea here is that disciples of Jesus look beyond their outward circumstances for their blessedness, their happiness, their sense of inner joy and peace, their sense of the favor of the Lord. That's what that word blessed means. Disciples of Jesus are blessed even when they are poor and hungry and weeping and persecuted. And on the flip side of that, if you don't have Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you are cursed even when you seem blessed by the world's standards of wealth and plenty and happiness and a good reputation, etc., Now, this begs a question. What is a disciple of Jesus? I mean, we we can throw that term around and, and, and really not think about it a whole lot, but I want you to stop and think about today, what is a disciple of Jesus? And more importantly, are you a disciple of Jesus? Is Do these beatitudes apply to you? Because Jesus is talking to disciples primarily. Now we see here in the broader text that we've just read that disciples, first of all, were called by Jesus. We've already looked at those passages in Luke where uh, the fishermen were called. 
Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew, the tax collector, was called. He, he left his uh, tax booth and never went back. They were called. Jesus gives an invitation. And this call, this response, involved a personal allegiance to him. They left their nets. They, he left the tax booth and attached himself to Jesus, attached themselves to Jesus. And they followed him and lived with him and gave him exclusive loyalty with their lives. They literally abandoned their homes and their business ties and their possessions. And they put the claims of Jesus first above their own circumstances, whatever the cost. Now, this relationship, this discipleship relationship in the New Testament with Jesus went beyond the normal pupil-teacher relationship. You know, my wife's a teacher, and she has pupils in her classroom. Thankfully, they don't come to our house, at least very often, and live with us and sit under her tutelage constantly. Uh, that would be a, a drag for me and probably for her as well. So when we think of a pupil-teacher, it's different than this. They were absorbed into Jesus' circle. They became his family, and he reiterates that uh, on different occasions in the New Testament. So this, this term disciple in the New Testament uh, has a deeper sense than what it's ever been uh, as the word has ever been used before Jesus came along. Because the Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. But there was a deeper allegiance, faith in Jesus, an allegiance to him. That's what marked those disciples. They believed Jesus. They believed who he was. They believed what he said, and they gave their lives to Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, everybody in the world is a disciple of someone or something. And what I mean is that every one of us has something or someone who informs us on what is valuable, on what is worthwhile in life, something or someone who informs your worldview, the way that you view and understand the world, what is your view of the world and the meaning of life? And where do you get that? Where do you get your understanding of the world? Why do you think about things the way that you do? Who or what has influence on your life and on your way of thinking? Something does, or someone does. Now, I suspect most people don't give it much thought. You know, you just, it's kind of like a fish in water. A, a, you know, fish probably aren't aware that they're in water. It's just all surrounded them. It's where they've always lived. And they don't even notice it. And I think that's true for most people. They just uh, have adopted the culture at large. They've adopted the, the thinking and beliefs uh, with which they were raised. And, uh, you know, they just don't think about it much. They're simply being carried along on the tide of public opinion many times. And they mindlessly adopt the values and beliefs and thinking of the culture at large. 
So everybody is being influenced. We're, we're constantly learning and taking in. If you just think about this example, you think about how influenced we are by television. Our, attitude, our attitudes toward and acceptance of certain behaviors in our society have been deeply influenced by television. Just think about our immorality in our culture today. If you look at some things that were, were shocking in the 90s, uh, compared to the shows of today, those things seem very tame. But back in the 90s, we thought, whoa, that's risque. See? Sitcoms. They get us to laugh at immorality until we become callous to it and then accepting of it. And that's certainly been an influence. So we've, we're influenced constantly. We have different voices telling us what's worthwhile, what's valuable, what we need in our lives and what we don't need. Who are you listening to? That's the question here. So we're all disciples of something or someone. Have you heard the call of Jesus to turn from your own way to follow him? Are you listening to Jesus in his word? Is your allegiance to him? If so, then you're a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says you're blessed, even though your circumstances may be difficult. Even though you might be impoverished. Even though you might be going hungry. Even though you might be weeping and mournful. Even though you might be hated and persecuted and have a poor reputation in the world. Those circumstances, Jesus says, don't matter. Don't affect your blessedness if you're his disciple. Well, this begs another question. How can poor, hungry, weeping, hated disciples consider themselves to be blessed? We're obviously not, they're obviously not blessed with money and, and fullness and joy in earthly terms. Uh, and a good reputation with outsiders. So how are the disciples of Jesus considered blessed? Well, Jesus tells us. Let's look at, there's four different categories he mentions that I keep repeating here. We'll take each one in turn. First, he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, there's the woe, verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Disciples of Jesus are members of the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, simple answer is a kingdom is that territory or that domain, kingdom, domain, that the king, uh, over which the king reigns and rules. Uh, when Jesus came to earth and he started preaching. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. Now God is the creator of everything and he obviously rules over everything. Uh, the entire universe is his kingdom in a sense but what Jesus meant when he came was that he being the Messiah the king, he was coming in and his rule was being expressed into the lives of people. People were laying down their rebellion against him and they were submitting to him and, and being part of his kingdom, his rule in their lives. These disciples, they were, they were uh, 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 
putting their loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, to King Jesus. And because they were connected to Jesus, his kingdom was their kingdom. It's not something that's just in the future when Jesus returns. The fullness of his kingdom will be expressed then. But it's something for for right now. Christ is king right this minute. He is in the seat of the highest cosmic authority. He said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to God's anointed Son. So even though a disciple might be in the depths of poverty, yet they are a child of the King. They are part of God's kingdom. The one who has all power and authority in the universe is their God, their Heavenly Father. So what have they to worry about? So that's the blessedness. It's not just having money in this life, but having a kingdom that's an eternal kingdom. So, yes, if you're a disciple and you're poor, you're still blessed because you've got the kingdom of God. You're a part of that kingdom. On the flip side, of those who are rich and find, it says, uh, you have received your consolation. The word there is comfort. You've gotten all the creature comforts of life. You remember Jesus said it's very difficult for a, a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they don't sense their need. They don't sense their need for the Lord. They don't sense their need for the kingdom. Everything is going well. They have power at their disposal in their wealth. They have those comforts of life that money can buy. Interestingly enough, that word comfort is parakaleo, which is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. We call the Holy Spirit, another word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. So this word parakaleo, comfort. Holy Spirit's our comforter. But certainly money and all the comforts that come with us can be a consolation in this life. But it's fleeting. It doesn't last. And you, as the saying goes, you can't take it with you when you die. Let's move on. Secondly, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. The disciples of Jesus are blessed because they have a satisfaction that goes beyond the satisfaction of having a full stomach. There's a satisfaction in the soul. That's what we were singing about. My worth is not in what I own. Uh, It's in Jesus and his cross and all that he has secured for us in his life and death and resurrection. In fact, all that we have in the Lord is is what our soul craves. That's what we really want. C.S. Lewis has a great quote from his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, which was a series of radio addresses that he delivered in the 1940s during World War II. He wrote this, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea, he's talking about Adam and Eve, uh, was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man 
trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the Lord. You are united to him. You have everything that your soul desires in Christ. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Soothes his sorrow, heals his pain, and wipes away his tears. Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians in chapter 4 there, and he's uh, talking about how they have renewed their uh, support of him. They probably sent him a gift of of money or goods. And he says, uh, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had had no opportunity in the past to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that's a verse that gets taken out of context a lot of times. Athletes who are Christians like that. I can do all things through, you know, I was a high jumper in college. Well, I can can jump high through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what that verse is about. It's talking about being content. It's talking about being satisfied with the Lord. You don't need uh, abundance. You don't need want. Uh, None of these things matter. You've got the Lord. That's all you need. Disciples of Jesus are blessed because they have the Lord and they are satisfied in Him. Well, thirdly, it says, "Blessed, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And then conversely, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Well, this word laugh here, uh, the Greek mindset when they wrote this word uh, was a little different than the Jewish mindset. Jesus obviously being Jewish and, and teaching in the Jewish fashion here is certainly intending to use this word in the Jewish sense of the word. The Greek sense of the word is that Uh, This word to laugh means free and hearty laughter. But in the Hebrew mindset, the word is used more often to refer to scornful laughter. And I think, as I said, the Hebrew understanding is more in line with what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that those who weep now will one day be filled with overwhelming joy. Now, that's true. There's, There's nothing wrong about that. But I don't think that's what Jesus means here. Rather, I believe that Jesus is saying that his disciples who weep now, to use our own idiom, they will have the last laugh. Those who are persecuted, Jesus is about to talk about, those who are going through difficulty now, they will be vindicated. They will have the last laugh. 
But those who laugh now scornfully at his people, well, they're going to be mourning and weeping. Jesus repeatedly speaks of hell as an ultimate eternal place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the most extreme reversal of fortune that Jesus is speaking of here in these verses. Disciples of Jesus have the knowledge and understanding that though circumstances might be difficult in this life, one day they will be vindicated. One day they will be filled with overwhelming joy. The pains, the troubles, the difficulties of this life, the injustices that they encounter, that will all be swept away. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more death, none of these things. Eternal joy in the presence of the Lord and his people. And then finally, uh, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And on the flip side, woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Well, Jesus told us repeatedly in the scriptures, particularly John 15, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus, his followers, get the same treatment that Jesus got. They're not, we're not above our master. And people will exclude us and revile us and spurn our name. We shouldn't be surprised at that. And we shouldn't cause people to hate us for the wrong reasons. Sometimes Christians could just obnoxious and people hate them for that reason. We should be persecuted for being faithful to the Lord. And that's the right way. And he says that we should rejoice when that happens. Leap for joy, indeed. Who would leap for joy at being persecuted and reviled and hated? But the reason that the believer in Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, can rejoice in the midst of suffering and persecution and hatred is because there's a reward in heaven, a great reward in heaven. And you're identified with a wonderful group of people, the prophets and Jesus himself puts you in good company. A reward in heaven is yours. So, disciples of Jesus have a kingdom. They have soul satisfaction. They will one day be vindicated and rewarded in heaven. And despite the circumstances of life, whatever those may be, you have these blessings and so many more because the scriptures tell us that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are blessed beyond even your comprehension and your understanding. Though your circumstances may tell a different story entirely. But on the other hand, if you don't have Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're actually under a curse. That's what these, these woes are. Galatians 3, Paul tells us, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Well, that puts us all under a curse. None of us have kept the law perfectly. We are all 
sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And Paul goes on to describe what Jesus did. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive, receive the promised Spirit through faith. The Spirit that changes us from the inside out. The Spirit that cleanses and renews us. The Spirit that, that makes us holy. The Spirit that supports us and comforts us in all of the difficult circumstances of life. Because of, what Christ has, because of what Christ did for us in becoming a curse for us on the cross, all these blessings are ours. So if you don't know him today, you need him. You desperately need him because you're under a curse without the Lord Jesus Christ and you're missing out on all those deep, spiritual, soul-satisfying blessings that come in spite of the circumstances of life. And I know everybody's circumstances are difficult. Everyone's circumstances are difficult. Isn't it wonderful to know what Paul talked about a little earlier from Philippians, the peace that passes all understanding. How do these people have this kind of peace and satisfaction when all around them is chaos? It's because of Jesus. Put your trust in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would make us all disciples of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would... Help us to turn from our own way, our own path that, that we want to pursue as if we were our own God. And Lord, we pray that we would submit to you in all things, that we would turn from our sin, turn from our own way, and Lord, we pray that you would take our lives. May we become your children. Lord, we pray that anyone here who doesn't know you today, that they would call out to you and say, Lord, I've gone my own way. I'm living in sin. Please cleanse and forgive me. Wash me and make me your child. Lord, we pray that you would do that for us today. For those who are your disciples, Lord, strengthen us for the journey. Help us to keep our eyes off the circumstances around us and keep our gaze fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.